Hello and welcome to episode 50, the big 5-0 of the MDDDS podcast. This is the Memphis Doctors and Dentists Discipleship Study. It's a Bible study here in Memphis, Tennessee for medical and dental students and also other healthcare students. And I am Dr. Kyle Fagala, your host, and I'm very excited that we've made it to episode 50. Tonight we're going to do something a little different. This is going to be from a new series called Hard Questions. We're only going to do two weeks on this. Today we're going to do why is there suffering and look at that question both from a philosophical standpoint and also an emotional standpoint. And then we're going to do next week, what if I doubt? So we're going to talk about Christian doubts, faith struggles, and that sort of thing. Tonight I'm very excited to be doing this lesson on suffering. It's one that I did a couple years ago. And I think especially the intellectual side of suffering is something that has been thought through. These questions have been asked before. And so a simple question of how could a good God allow evil in this world? That's a question that's been wrestled with for hundreds of years. And I think there are compelling answers to that question. So I invite you to come and listen along as we look at this question, why is there suffering? So we are talking tonight about why is there suffering? And I think this is like, uh, you know, like Christianity, Faith, Doubt 101. This is kind of like the classic question that comes up if someone's like a, an atheist at like 16. Like this would be their, like their question. Um, but I'll ask this, and this is open for discussion. Um, does the amount of suffering and evil in the world sometimes make it hard for you to believe in God? Yeah, if you watch bad people suffer, it's, it's not really that right. di hard to deal with. It's two-year-old with burns. You know, that's that's a pretty pretty hard thing to like <clears throat> see the purpose of, and and a lot more than that. You know, I mean, a lot more suffering even than 
having burns on your body as a two-year-old. I mean, there's there are worse things and things that are just almost inexplicable. Yeah, so I mean, I, I get it, um, and, I, and I, I think it's not to be taken lightly, and I don't think at the end of tonight that you'll be like, okay, now like the next time I see a two-year-old with burns over their body, like, I got this, you know, I don't, I don't think it's ever gonna be that. So I don't take any of this to be like, oh, I've got, you know, the answer that will fix all this. But I think there are some answers to kind of think through. And what I would say is, is that a question like, well, how could a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? That's not a question that just started getting asked 10 years ago. I mean, it's a question that's been asked for hundreds of years and that people have thought through and that from a philosophical standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, there are answers for that. doesn't mean that in the midst of that, you know, if you have someone that's close to you that, that dies suddenly or that experiences great tragedy or whatever, that you're not going to struggle with that. Um, but uh, I think we'll look at some ways to think through those things. So I guess for me, like the problem of evil in the world and the problem of suffering, um, as the Bible talks about, you know, basically good things happening to bad people and bad things happening to good people, that sort of randomness seemingly of things is one of the greatest obstacles to faith because I think it seems like, well, if an all-powerful and all-good God created this universe, then why would, why would it be that way? Okay. Um, and so, again, we'll get into some of that. For me, it's just like you said it, Ryan. It's, you can look at like mankind's evil and you can kind of like line that up and say, well, kind of had it coming, you know, and there's some of that for sure. But then like natural disasters or just random things, it's like, why did that happen? You know, um, and so I think that that has been a, you know, an impact on all of us. Um, what I'll say is as a Christian, um, and this is written out in your notes, but I'm convinced that the problem of evil as terrible as it is, does not in the end disprove the existence of God. And I think on the contrary, I think that if it were not for Christianity, I don't think we have a great solution to the problem of evil. So I think a much scarier prospect is that we have evil in the world and there is no God. Um, because then in that sense, we're, we're really without any sort of hope. And it really is pointless and purposeless and, and it, really scary, let's say. Um, I know it's not fun to think of a God creating all this and allowing for suffering, but then that opens up the question, well, what's the alternative? And so we'll look at some of that too. All right, so your first blank, what is suffering? Keep, keeping it easy to start, suffering. Uh, so suffering, like a, like a definition of suffering, I think we know, but pain that is caused by injury, illness, loss, um, physical, mental, or emotional pain. So anything that basically we don't like I want to look a little bit at what the Bible says about suffering. I think we probably have a sense of what the Bible says about suffering. And I think this is part two of getting at a better understanding of why there is suffering is I think understanding suffering through a different lens. And I think that if you think that the point of life is happiness or comfort, then you'll see suffering only as a bad thing. And I don't think that is the point of life. I don't think it's the point of life as God created it. So if you ask the question, you know, what's the meaning of life? And if the meaning of life which if you polled, you know, a thousand people in the United States, the meaning of life probably could be condensed to, well, to find something that makes you happy and keeps you happy, or to find something that fulfills you or that gives you purpose, something along those lines, or to, to find relationships that really matter and invest in those over time. Something like that, is that fair to say? Probably. Okay, the problem with that definition of life is, first off, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that is the meaning of life, and I would I'd say I don't think it's the meaning of life. But the second problem as it pertains to suffering is, is that suffering gets in the way of that purpose of life. Okay, so if that's the reason that we're alive is to be happy, suffering gets right in the face of that. Because in the midst of suffering, you won't be happy. If by happy we mean like 
I'm enjoying things and I'm smiling in the moment, okay? Because happiness does not usually coexist with suffering. So um, here's some verses about suffering. Uh, some of these, a little bit different points, but uh, Philippians, sorry, one uh, twenty-nine. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Second uh, Corinthians twelve seven through ten. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, this is Paul talking about. Uh, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. It's like a constant point of discussion among theologians. I think most people think it was like a, a vision issue for different reasons, but who knows what it was. Um, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but He said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Uh, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults and hardships, and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's actually the sermon at Highland this Sunday was basically on this idea. So, he's talking about kids with special needs and how people see that as, you know, a, a major. Well, I'll go into all the details, but obviously, like it's a thing that as parents you don't want. You don't want to have a kid with. Down syndrome, you don't, you know, so we even have tests now to determine if someone has Down syndrome, and then you can abort the baby. That's kind of the premise to some degree, which is crazy. Um, Tim Tebow, his parents were told that he was going to have some major developmental issues, and given the option of aborting him, of course he didn't. Um, now, among other things, he has a, a thing where they do prom for kids with special needs. It's a really beautiful thing, um, but it's the idea that the sermon was is that it is in these weaknesses that we realize that we are dependent on God. Um, and so it is in suffering that we develop this desire for God and a, real, a realization that we can't do this independently, which I think is the point of this verse. And so for Paul to pray for it to, to be taken away just like we would, God's point is, well, in fact, I, I need this weakness to be present. Which is, I think, why as we study through the Old Testament, you see flawed and weak people that God shows His power through. So God does not take the most powerful among people and use those as his instruments. Um, he uses very weak and flawed people because it better shows his strength. Okay, I think the same is true of suffering in that way. So, First um, Peter four twelve through sixteen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory in God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So again, that's a question of perspective. Um, if, if our identity is as a human trying to like make it successfully as a doctor, and that's our main identity, then when we suffer, that can be difficult. If our main identity is as a Christian, and we take on a greater perspective of life, and we realize that this is not all we are, as a 74-year-old person that then returns to the grave, but as a forever person, uh, then that changes things dramatically, okay? So I think it's one way to look at that. All right, so I'd say we all deal with suffering, and I wanna be honest, I feel like of my life in particular, and I, I, I'm scared to say this when I say this, because I don't wanna jinx it, but I've not had to deal with a lot of major suffering. I, I did not have parents that were divorced, I, you know, I mean, I lost a grandpa when I was six, but outside of that, no one in my immediate family has passed away. Um, I've never had many like close friends pass away. I mean, I've had little tragic events, but I mean, I've lived a comfortable life. School's always gone well. Things have always gone well. I met a wonderful wife, and we've not 
been divorced. I mean, there's just no, like, all my kids have been healthy. I mean, that could change at any point, but I don't feel like I've ever been faced with this, like, you know, a situation where people are like, oh, my goodness. You know, I've just never had that. So it's sort of easy for me to say, oh, suffering's not so bad. Um, and so obviously there's people that have dealt with a lot more than I've ever dealt with. So it's easy maybe for me to say it. For someone else that's dealt with a lot of suffering and tragedy, it's, it's a lot harder. Um, what I would say is, is that even all those things considered, all of us sitting here in the wealthiest country in the world that are, we're free, and most of us are in medical school, and obviously that means you've done well, and it probably means that you were raised with some amount of wealth and uh, you know, position in life or whatever you want to say. Uh, we're all extremely blessed, okay? And yet we all still suffer in one way or another. And suffering's all relative. You know, I mean, like, it's the fr most frustrating th thing for me about suffering is that in the midst of an amazing week where I'm wealthy beyond whatever I would ever dreamed, I'm successful, um, I have a wonderful family, and some little thing goes bad, and I'm, oh, I'm suffering. And it's like, no, I'm not. But, like, I still feel that way, okay? Um, and so it is the sort of thing that we all have suffering in our lives to different degrees. So here's a common question. Um, if God is all good, all knowing, and all powerful, then why is there suffering? Um, if someone were to ask you that, what would your answer be? Why is there suffering? Such an easy question. Has anyone asked you that before? Oh, I think it's a terribly but, hard um, question to answer. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes I like say <coughs> it's, the point is to bring you closer to God sometimes. Mm -hmm. And our difficulties, we tend to lean towards um, Him for comfort. So. Yeah, to be clear, I, I don't think it's an easy question to answer. It's probably one of the hardest questions to answer. Um, I think there, because it's such a hard question and such it's such a common question, I think there are great answers, and I think there's there's great literature on this question. Um, and so, you know, when I think of this question, I think of like the real like bold 16, 17, 18 year old atheist that's just like just gotten into it and has watched, you know, a couple you know videos on YouTube, and this is where they start because um, I think it cuts to us emotionally, and it is a hard thing to answer emotionally. Um, we're going to look at two kind of aspects to suffering and why they're suffering. The first is philosophical, and that works for me because I'm a very logical person and I like you know arguments and I like it all being lined up. So yeah, they, yeah, that makes sense. That doesn't always work for people either. So in the middle of you know someone's house burned down and their their daughter wasn't in the house or like some just crazy thing, you're not going to be like, well, you know, this is okay because logically, and I mean like that's not where you go. I think oftentimes the answer in the midst of that is just to be there and be present and be loving and, and, and be an ear and, you know, just sit with them. Um, but I do think in kind of peacetime, then it's the opportunity to have these conversations in terms of the logical side of it or the philosophical side of it. Um, what, what is someone else's, like, quick answer? You said to, to bring you kind of nearer to God, which we kind of got at, and then we'll, we'll also talk about that more. And 
the I mean the only way that free will occurs is if there's an option for evil and if there's an option for suffering. And so um, you either have that those two you know battling against each other, or you have all perfect people that are robots. And you know it's not it's not the easy answer. It's not what you necessarily want. But if you are, I think if you're being probably a more of a logical sense, not an emotional sense, you know, admitting to it, like you have to kind of admit that if there weren't any suffering, then there probably wouldn't be free will, and we probably would just be like little robots. Yeah. <clears throat> and in that way, there really is no such thing as joy. Uh, there's no such, yeah. such thing as pleasure without pain. Uh, so you, ha- you kind of have to have the yin and yang. And so in the absence of it, C.S. Lewis talks about this really well. I don't know if it's in The Problem of Pain or if it's in... Couple, probably a couple other books he does too, but he talks about you know people being automatons or robots, and that that is an option. And and it, even as you bring that up, it's like, well, is that such a bad option? Yeah. There's also the option of do we even have to exist at all, you know? And so I think then that requires a greater perspective of, okay, well, God understands better than I would why He created that or why He needed us to be created or wanted us to be created, and also that greater perspective of this not being everything that there ever is which I think is a super important thing when you're dealing with suffering, is to be able to separate yourself from the temporal nature of it. Um, again, not easy, but let's jump in. We'll get into some of this. I think those are both great. So bring you closer to God, result of free will. We're, both, we're touching on both of those. Um, so the philosophical problem of suffering, this is where we're going to start. So there's two ways to answer this question, philosophically or intellectually, however you want to say that, and then emotionally. Uh, the philosophical problem of suffering, there are two problems. There's a logical problem. And then there's also a probabilistic problem. <laughs> I don't know why I made that a blank. Probabilistic. So start to spell probability and then add in listic at the end. All right. But we'll look at the logical problem. This, I'll be honest, is not a great argument against God and suffering coexisting, but we'll start there. So this argument would say that God and evil, or God and suffering, we'll, we'll kind of use those interchangeably, are logically incompatible. This is the idea that the two could not exist in the same universe. No philosopher has been able to prove this. There's nothing necessary about those two, you know. So in conclusion, so long as it is even possible that God has morally sufficient reasons for permitting evil, it follows that God and evil are logically consistent. So what we're saying is it's logical that God and evil can coexist. So there's nothing, you know, that of God or of evil that would say they could not exist in the same universe. All right, so we're just getting the, we're getting the oven started here. Okay, this is just we're just getting things rolling. All right, um, the second is more interesting. Okay, in terms of an intellectual uh, problem for suffering, so probabilistic. So is it is it logical? Sure, it's logical. Is it probable? Is the next part. Okay, so in co- according to this version of the intellectual problem of suffering, the coexistence of God and evil is logically possible, we just proved that, but nevertheless, it's highly improbable. So your blank is improbable. And so this is the idea that there's just so much evil in the world that it's improbable that God exists in the way that we understand God, okay? Sure, it's logical that it could be together, but there's just so much evil, it's improbable. It makes me feel like, eh, it's just not likely, okay? Um, I think this is a better argument than the logical argument. So this is the argument, really, that people are getting at when they say, well, there's just too much of the evil. Like, I don't want to worship a God, and I don't want to believe in a God that would allow a one-year-old to die of, you know, or to be born with encephaly or w- whatever, like, thing you want to pick out. Um, 
and as I look at photos of stuff like that, like in a medical textbook or whatever, I'm like, ah, oh, that's just it's like hard to find any purpose or any really anything in that. Okay, and so that's kind of the argument here. So there's three main points, and this stuff will get a little bit heavy, but I think you'll I think you'll be able to follow it. It's good stuff. The first one is we are not in a good position. So position is your blank to assess the probability of whether God has morally sufficient reasons for the evils that occur. Okay, so follow me here. So we're not in a good position. Um, we are finite persons. We are limited in time, space, intelligence, and insight. God, on the other hand, is transcendent and sovereign. So God is not limited by time, by space. He's also sovereign, meaning he's in control. And so in the same way that, like, as a kid, it's hard for me to question my parents because I don't really understand you know, the level that they're at relatively. Uh, it's also kind of silly for us to question God on whether he has morally sufficient reasons for what the world is like. Okay, um, And so God sees from the beginning, and he providentially orders history so that his purposes are ultimately achieved through human free decisions. Um, I've, said, I've heard it said another way that God has created a universe in which the greatest number of people will come to a knowledge and relationship with him. And so, again, you have, you have robots where everyone follows God, um, or you have a scenario wherein there is the potential for a relationship with God through free will, there's also the potential certainly for evil and for not choosing God. And that's the universe that he chose to create, and that's the universe that we read about him choosing to create for the reasons that he had. Um, and so for us to question that, question someone that's way bigger than us and exists beyond the things that confine us. Okay. Um, again, like I said, it's like Charlie and Libby questioning the decisions that I make as a parent for them. Um, I'm obviously in a much better position to decide what's good for them in that moment. And so something as simple as like, if George were allowed, George would eat every piece of candy that was given to him for an hour straight, okay? At the end of that hour, he would be sick to his stomach. Maybe, he's actually got a pretty good stomach for candy. He has a very <laughs> sweet tooth. Um, and that's a simple thing and a stupid thing. But I can say of, of George George, you've had three pieces of candy, that's too much candy. But I want candy, you know, so. Um, that's just a simple thing that, you know, God's obviously, his, his separation between us is much greater than that of me and George. But I understand that perspective of, no, 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 you need to listen to me. This is not good for you. Um, as kids, as teenagers, obviously there were things that we really wanted, that maybe we even prayed for, and that now I look back and I'm like, I am so thankful that did not happen the way that I wanted. You know, so if I could have controlled my life, it would have been much different and much worse. Um, and so I think you see how hopeless it is, especially when you look at, through history. Um, it's hopeless to, to speculate on the probability of whether God has these morally sufficient reasons. Uh, so we're not in a great position. The second thing is the Christian faith entails doctrines, it's your blank, that increase the probability of the coexistence of God and evil. I talked about this earlier, but the chief purpose of life is not happiness. I'd also say it's not comfort. If it were then I think the idea that evil coexists with God is much more difficult, okay? And so in all those verses we read, God, God's goal for us is not happiness. Um, if anything, it seems like maybe the opposite in some sense, like worldly, earthly happiness. Um, Jesus surrounded himself with people that were not the most successful, the most popular, the most happy, as we would see it from worldly standards. Um, uh, God's purpose of life is knowledge of him and a relationship with him. So suffering may not make us happy, but it can evoke a deeper dependency and trust in God. This is what Ali said. So um, certainly in the midst of suffering, that is a time where a lot of people turn to God and they trust in God. 
people talk about rock bottom. Like if you're talking about something with like a drug history or something like that, it's in rock bottom that they finally kind of say, all right, I need something bigger than this. I need something greater. It's like Alcoholics Anonymous. Like it's all based around this acceptance of a higher power and that they're not able, I guess you could say, they're, they're not independent in the sense that they can control this addiction, that they need help to, to, to deal with it. So it's only through understanding that we are dependent upon our maker that we can become humble and give up like this, this feeling that we can do it ourselves. So I think what you see the pattern in the Old Testament is people trying to define good and evil for themselves, trying to do things for themselves, whether that's even in the Garden of, Eve, of Eden where they're trying to define good and evil for themselves by taking the fruit. Then you see it in the creation of the Tower of Babel, and then you see it with basically all the patriarchs. You see it with the judges. You see it with the people of Israel. Over and over again, people are trying to define for themselves what is good, what is evil, and you see this downward spiral, and you see this continued failure, okay? Um, and I think this is because we are trying to be dependent on ourselves and not dependent on God, okay? Um, and it doesn't end well. That's the thing, is, is that we think we know better, that we can do better than the God that created us. Um, and I think our ability to uh, desire God in the midst of suffering requires on our response to that suffering. So I think this is a good point, is, is that... Do we respond with anger and bitterness towards God when we suffer, or do we turn to Him in faith for strength to endure? I think that's probably the most important part of suffering, is how we respond to it. When I'm talking to orthodontists and I talk about like happiness, I have a lecture on happiness, and I talk about mindset, and there are books written by secular people that will talk about how happiness, only about 10% of it is predicted by our outside experiences, okay, so the suffering of life. 90% of it is inside of our heads. And so the difference between people who are negative people and, and those who are positive people is the people that are positive realize that they have control over their circumstances, basically. It's, all the diff it's also the difference generally between rich people and poor people is, is that poor people, and we can kind of confound that with negative people, think that the world happens to them. So they think that things are always happening to them and they're powerless and sort of like, well, this is just the way it's going to be. People have positive mindsets, and then often with finances, people that are richer or more successful, they realize that they can, in the midst of suffering or bad things, they can make that a good thing, or they can find the positive in it. I think from a Christian standpoint is, is that sort of like um, Paul sitting in prison and singing when he's in prison. You know, it's sort of like, you know, it's like, what's so bad about this? You know, and you're like sitting there singing, whereas most people will be in prison like freaking out and like, we're going to die, you know, like... And, you know, in the midst of that, there's an earthquake, and he saves the jailer. I mean, there's, like, some amazing stuff that happens. And so it is the most faithful people that I know that in the midst of terrible things, they're still joyful because um, they have that greater perspective. Um, and they don't turn in anger to God and bitterness and kind of shake their fist at him. You think of Job. I mean, in the midst of all that suffering, he struggled with it for sure, but he maintained this respect and reverence for God, whereas his friends did not, you know. Um, so... I would also say that mankind is in a state of rebellion against God and His purpose. And so I think a lot, and Ryan kind of touched on this, but a lot of why there's evil in the world is, is that sort of like this cycle I talked about in the Old Testament is that we do bad stuff, and so it's no wonder that evil follows, okay? Um, and so we pursue false gods of our own making, and so it should not surprise us when we see evil in the world. Um, the Bible says that God, at different times, it'll say this, that God gives mankind over to the sin that they've chosen. Romans 1, it says this. We see this, as I'm reading through Exodus, you see this with Pharaoh. <coughs> it says, uh, 
God allowed Pharaoh to you know, harden his own heart, and then eventually God just like hardened it. And it was basically like the point at which Pharaoh was like not going to turn away from that. God was like, okay, go ahead. You're going to be evil. I'm going to let you be evil. And so I think that what you see is, is as people become more and more depraved, God kind of like gives up because he's like, I know how this is playing out and have at it, you know. Um, and I think that's kind of maybe where we are as a culture these days. And so we, we have to remember that we're morally, morally responsible for the evil that exists in the world. Just as there was a perfect garden, we chose to sin. The reason that we look around and see a lot of evil is ourselves. Um, and then lastly, uh, or thirdly, I should say, the li- this life is not all there is. And so 1 Corinthians 15, 19, I like this verse, is if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so if Christ is just a thing that we do, like a Kiwanis Club or you know something like that, if it doesn't extend beyond this life, then it, we should be pitied because what are we doing? We should just eat, drink, and be merry. Um, but this life is not all there is. We are eternal people. We are forever people. Um, and I think some of this is, it reminds me of Romeo and Juliet, how you know Romeo finds Juliet, she looks like she's dead, and he ends up killing himself, and then she wakes up, and she's like, what happened? You know, she just put herself to sleep. It's like, if only he had known, you know, if only he'd waited just a few more minutes. And so I think there's some element of suffering that's always like, if you would just wait, and if you could just know what was to come, this would not seem as bad. And in an eternal sense, if we would just wait, and we would kind of look towards eternity, um, sort of like I always talk about TV shows, like if you're in season two, just wait. Like it's going to change a lot, okay? And your season two problems are not even going to seem relevant when you get to season three or four. And in that sense, we, we're in an enormous television show of which we're probably in the first episode still. Um, and then I would say this, is the knowledge of God is an incomparable good. The sufferings of this life cannot even be compared to it. And I'll read this. The person who knows God, no matter what he or she suffers, no matter how awful his or her pain, can still say, God is good to me, simply by virtue of the fact that he or she knows God, an incomparable good. I think this is one of those things that to someone that doesn't have faith in God, that would sound like utter BS, okay? Um, That doesn't solve suffering for me. And so it does require, as the Bible would say, it requires the mind of the Spirit to kind of discern that and to, to accept that as true. Um, but let's say, okay, if you don't believe in God, the God that created the universe that sustains all this, that one day calls us to a relationship with Him for eternity, knowledge of Him and a relationship with Him is something that's so much better than suffering that exists for this very small amount of time. You can kind of liken it to, like I have a drummer that I'm a huge fan of, and I remember like meeting him for the first time. It was like this really cool experience. And then getting to sort of know him and now being on like first name basis with him, it's like this really cool thing that gives me like a sense of like joy and also like kind of pride and that's a drummer you know it's like the creator of the universe to have a relationship with him it is so beyond whatever suffering we're dealing with whatever that might be but we lose that perspective i think when we get mired down with the things of this life and it almost sounds a little silly like oh yeah sure but how much bigger that is okay so coming around to this when you consider the full scope of the evidence god's existence is probable I'd also say, and this is your next blank, evil isn't all the existence that is available. And so if you just considered God's existence in view of the evil, it's maybe harder to make this argument. Or maybe God's existence is improbable relative to that. There are three other pieces of evidence, and we have talked about this last year, but you may have missed it. And so here's like maybe the three best pieces of evidence for God, independent of what we accept about the Bible. But 
God provides the best explanation of why the universe exists. So your blank is universe exists. The other option, and so if, if you're saying, well, I don't believe in God because there's evil, well, then your option is, is the universe popped into being uncaused, out of nothing, and for no reason. As we talked about naturalism, which extends into nihilism, like that's your other option. So if you don't think there's a God, and a lot of people are very proud to say there's not a God, well, your option then is, is that what we're doing right now is all there is, that it happened out of nothing, and not just like in a test tube, but like literally out of nothing, no time, space, nothing. It just happened to exist, and then it happened to formulate itself into what we see now, and here we are, and I'm no different than that coffee table. Okay, that's the existence we have, and when I die, it won't matter. So that's your other option, which is not great. So I think God is a better explanation for why we're here, why the universe exists. Second thing is God provides the best explanation of the complex order in the universe, which I kind of got at, but it'd be one thing if the universe was just some swamp of chemicals and gases or something, but it's a highly ordered universe that at certain times in its you know, infancy would have required a ton of things to go a certain way to get to where we are. And I won't go into the great details, but there's a physicist that came up with the odds of our universe's low entropy condition. It's like 10 to the 10 raised to the 123rd power. So basically, we looked at this, if you were at that lecture, it's been a while, or at that night, where the probabilities of all the things that are finely tuned in our universe from a physical standpoint are entirely improbable. Um, and so there's different arguments for why it would be that way. But basically, there's no great answer for why it is the way it is. And so you sort of have to turn your brain off to it, or as I always say, it's kind of the faith of an atheist. And so it's, if you're an atheist, you're, you're making some faith claims about our Earth just being here and our universe just being here. And some of them seem highly improbable. Um, and so I think pure chance is an impossible explanation for our existence. So I think in that way, God makes more sense. Um, the, the last one, which we could do a whole lesson on this, but objective moral values. So objective morality, you could say. Um, objective morality exists in this world, okay? And so you could say if there's not a standard bearer, so if God does not exist, then objective morality does not exist, okay? And so if you don't have, like, a system of laws in a, in a country, then you're kind of able to do whatever you want, right? Obviously, in the United States, in Germantown proper, we have laws, okay? And so those are the objective laws, all right? Um, morality, we would say, is not just a construct. Now, if you're a, you know, evolutionary, uh, you know, psychologist or whatever, you would say that, well, you know, morality has evolved with society and with cultural norms. And there's some truth to that, that some element of, you know, public morality uh, or morality in a, in a group of people is kind of evolved and it is subject to societal norms and things like that. So what's normal in France is not normal here, let's say. But I do think that objective morality does exist. So when you look at actions like rape or cruelty or child abuse or, you know, child sacrifice or things like that, um, I think that they are socially unacceptable behaviors in most all cultures, okay? And I say most all because there are examples of that even in the Bible. Um, I think that these are moral abominations that I think people at their core know are objectively evil. I think you've, you see it in really depraved societies. And I think it kind of follows along with that verse of where it says God kind of gives people over to their de depravity. Um, but I think that you know, it's sort of like you know, the classic thing of like a naturalist that would say that that is no different than me, that we're all made up of stardust. Well, take that, throw it into the fire, or take their own baby and throw it into the fire. There's obviously 
a difference, and I think we accept that. Um, it's easy to sort of argue it, you know, on the back porch while you're smoking a cigar, like that it's all the same, and to kind of extend your, your logical conclusions based on your worldview. But I think we understand things to be evil in our core. I think that like, you know, sacrificing a child is one of those things that's like, that's objectively evil, or rape, or it's these certain actions. Um, and so I think that what you would say is, is if we're just random byproducts of nature, then there is no objective morality. It is all relative, and it doesn't really matter. And the irony of all this, and this is kind of the take home, is that if there isn't objective moral values, there's no ob objective morality, then asking a question of evil, it sort of undoes itself. And so you can't really ask why is there evil if you don't accept that evil is even a thing. And so kind of, and there's so many arguments around objective morality, but it's the idea that if, if morality is not objective, then let's say Hitler had succeeded, that Hitler had killed off everyone that disagreed, and that there now exists a universe where no one thinks that what Hitler was doing was wrong. Would those things still be wrong or would they not be wrong? Because if morality is not objective, then everything he did, exterminating Jews, uh, putting to death people with special needs and sterilizing them before that, that would not be wrong if everyone in the society thought it wasn't wrong. And I don't think people think that. Like, I don't, I don't think anyone in their right mind would say, yeah, that seems reasonable. Um, they might have to because that, they're a slave to their worldview. But I think objectively, like, we know that's wrong. If you watch anything about concentration camps and you see videos of people just piled up, like, that's wrong. Like, there's, there's nothing that, that's just, well, that's just a societal thing that we, we decided that that's not good for human flourishing. No, it's just, it's just evil. Like, it's evil. And we know it's evil because painted on us is the image of God uh, it's the image of a God that says that that's evil, that that works against his character. It's not just because we decide that it's wrong or it's not good. Okay. Um, and had that all extended out and, you know, Hitler had won, a Third Reich had happened, and now everyone agreed with that, like, it wouldn't make it right. Okay. Um, and again, to ask if, so, you know, to ask why something is unjust and something is evil when you don't believe in objective morality, it sort of shows the limit of your questioning, I think. All right. Sorry, I know it's nerdy stuff. All right, so from an intellectual standpoint, we can say that it's probable that God and evil coexist. All right, I can tell you're exhausted. Let's move on to the next section. This is the emotional problem of suffering, and I think this is the one that is a bigger problem. I don't think in the midst of suffering or terrible things that people are usually asking these philosophical questions. Um, I think this is like more like Twitter conversation or like, you know, in the dorm room late at night at Harding. You know, these are, you know, you ask those intellectual questions. But in the midst of losing someone that you love or having something terrible go on, you're on the emotional side of it. And I'll be honest, I don't know that the, like, the arguments are as strong on the emotional side, okay? But I think there is, in Christianity, something beautiful to be found on the emotional side. Um, I would say this, that emotionally, we simply do not like a God who would permit us and others to suffer. And, so, and, I, and I get that, but again, I think it's a question of perspective. Um, the Bible is, is really where we learn about God. I think there are certain things that are self-evident about God. I think there are things that we can learn about God just by experience um, and by looking into nature and by looking at human beings because we have the image of God. So I think we can learn about the character of God in people to some degree. But largely it comes through the Bible and the revelation of God. The Bible tells us that God is not a creator that's distant with his arms crossed. He's not a clockmaker like the deists thought who created this and walked away from it. He's not some impersonal being or energy or color or whatever. Um, but instead, he's a loving father who shares our sufferings and hurts with us. 
So you think of a, a story from Luke like the prodigal son. That is God. Who we run away from. We try to find good and evil. We mess up. We come back. He doesn't ask us for something in return, but he accepts us in his arms. I mean, that's, that's the picture of the God that we, that we follow. Um, Alvin Plantiga said this. I'm going to read this quote. As the Christian sees things, God does not stand idly by, coolly observing the suffering of his creatures. He enters into and shares our suffering. He endures the anguish of seeing his son, the second person of the Trinity, consigned to the bitterly cruel and shameful death of the cross. Christ was prepared to endure the agonies of hell itself in order to overcome sin and death and the evils that afflict our world and to confer on us a life more glorious than we can imagine. He was prepared to suffer on our behalf to accept suffering of which we can form no conception. So I think Jesus is really the answer to this, and it's really how we can remedy all this. Um, and it's always the best question in a Sunday school. If you don't know the answer, you say Jesus. Um, but your blank is, Jesus endured a suffering beyond all comprehension. So he, he bore the punishment for the sins of the whole world. And I think in fairness, none of us can comprehend that level of suffering. Okay? Um, and we talk about, well, how could bad things happen to good people? Well, how could what happened to Jesus happen to Jesus? I mean, of, of anyone, he is the good person, okay? Um, and so though he was innocent, he voluntarily took upon himself the punishment that we deserved. And he did this because he loves us. He also did it because it was the only way that God could stay true to his covenant that he made thousands of year, years before and to his plan that he set out, okay? It's the only way that he could save us. So it's the only way that you could have a holy and just God that, that loves us and is merciful. It's the only way that that can make sense. It's through the suffering of His Son. Okay. Um, and so here's another quote. So paradoxically, paradoxically, even though the problem of evil is the greatest objection to the existence of God, at the end of the day, God is the only solution to the problem of evil. If God does not exist, then we are lost without hope and a life filled with a whole lot of pointless and unredeemable suffering. God is the final answer to the problem of evil. For he redeems us from evil and takes us into the everlasting joy of fellowship with him. We kind of got to this at the very beginning of all this. We only have so many options with, with life, philosophically. And I think our philosophy does sort of you know, direct the way that we handle things emotionally, for sure. Um, I think you know, the emotional side can kind of outweigh the logical side a lot of times. And some of us are more emotional than others, and some of us are more logical than others. Probably to a fault in both directions. I'm certainly more logical than it'd be ideal at times, you know. Um, but I think it's important to understand both sides of those. And it's hard, to, again, when someone's suffering to appeal to their logical side when they're in the middle of that, right? Um, but God has been there and Jesus has been there in dealing with that. Um, also, just a couple of verses to sort of add to this, and we'll kind of wrap up in about five minutes. But um, our suffering often brings glory to God's kingdom even when we can't see it. I think that's another part of perspective that's important. Uh, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And so there's often things that go wrong that later on we see the impact that it's had. Um, and I think some of that too comes with how we respond to it. And it's sometimes in the middle of suffering that I, you know, I have some of my most spiritual moments was in the middle of suffering and in dealing with that with people is you know, really seeing God work through those situations. Um, and as a selfish person, I would still wish that a lot of those things had not happened. Um, and yet, I, I kind of have to just sort of accept at some point. It's like, well, as it, goes, it goes back to kind of like the philosophical side. It's like, well, what was, what was the alternative? You know, there's some element of that. Um, 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5, I like this. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So the, the way that we're able to comfort others is because we've received comfort from God. Uh, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And so our ability to deal with suffering comes through an awareness of the way that God has comforted us in the midst of our suffering. Um, so I would say this. Intellectually and emotionally, suffering and evil make sense coexisting with God for a lot of reasons. And ultimately, we're kind of left with this, is that I believe that the greatest number of people will, will freely come to know Christ only in a world with suffering. And so I think that's the hard thing, is that if you're trying to like formulate a universe where the greatest number of people freely come to accept Christ, that freely come to a knowledge of God, you have to add a certain pinch of suffering into that recipe for that to happen, which is like not a great thing to have to think through. And I think that kind of goes beyond our kind of like ability to understand things. Um, but I do know that in, in, in the absence of suffering, um, it'd be very easy for me to not feel like I needed God. Like I'd kind of go about my business. And that's like one of my greatest criticisms of culture right now is that we're so easily distracted and we have so many things that keep us busy, but it's an illusion. You know, you sort of think like your parents playing like um, Candy Crush or something. Like it's the illusion of purpose, truly. I'm on level 1,007, you know? Um, there's, there's nothing to it. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, you know, bits and bites. It, it means nothing. Um, and in the same way, we have Netflix. Like, are you still watching? Yeah, I'm still watching. Go. Um, we also have the illusion of relationship. And, and some, you know, online relationships that, that can mean something. But we more and more have the illusion of relationship. And these are all things that distract us. Um, and so it, we, we, we're distracted from thinking through these questions. And so I think when suffering happens, we're, we're really in a place where we, we don't know how to deal with it or think through it. Um, and also we're in a place where we're so distracted that it's hard for us to come to need God or to desire God. And so I think that those are all like idols that we've created that keep us from needing God because we have so many other things that we can worship. Um, but obviously the idol of Candy Crush is going to fail. Okay, It fails in a, in a lot of ways. Um, and so I hope that you know, we eventually turn off our Candy Crush and focus on uh, bigger things. But, um, and so again, what, what, what would, in a world absent of evil, of suffering, what would compel us to freely come to know Christ? Um, and if we don't need God for anything, why would we turn to Him? C.S. Lewis says this in a, in, a, in a more succinct way, but pain is God's megaphone to a dying world. So if we accept that we're in a, in a dying world, Pain and suffering is oftentimes a thing that, that cuts through, that kind of gets our attention, that, that higher than what we're kind of dealing with, it's sort of the din of, of life and distractions. Um, you could also see this play out, like in, in real life, is that in countries where there's the greatest amount of suffering, like China, you could say there's a lot of persecution. Christianity is spreading there more quickly than anywhere in the world. Um, it's here in the comfortable United States or in Europe where things are fine and normal and everyone's intellectual and everything's good and we have you know solutions for the problems and we've we've risen above the need for a little God um, that Christianity's dying okay it's where there is suffering and there's this perception that there is a need for something greater and that we're not independent that we're in fact dependent that Christianity spreads okay 
Um, so I think we're too comfortable. I think we're too distracted to need God. So I think suffering subverts that. And I think it points out that, in fact, we're very much in need of something bigger. Okay. Um, we'll kind of end with this. Second uh, Corinthians four sixteen through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary sh- sh- uh, troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is temporary, uh, sorry, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Um, so I love this verse. It's probably my favorite verse about suffering, which is why I end with it. Um, I love this a couple things I just want to focus on. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. It kind of reminds me of, you know, like real strong Christians who are, you know, die. Maybe they're on chemotherapy and they're they're bald or they're you know you know they've wasted away and they're just as happy as they could be. And it's you know some of the most faith affirming things are, are people that go through situations like that and they're just somehow joyful in the midst of it. And it's like I'm upset because someone at work was you know upset with me or so you know it's like what a silly thing to be upset about. Um, I like that he calls it light momentary troubles. And this is Paul who you know he you know he has a verse where he talks about. I was twice beaten, and three times I was stoned, and I was put in prison, and I was shipwrecked, and all this, you know, terrible stuff. And uh, he calls it light and momentary troubles, um, because the eternal glory that we're headed towards it far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. And how difficult is that? And that's much like medical school. You're trying to not worry about what's seen, which is right in front of you, which is studying, which is mean co-residents, which is mean attendings, which is a lot of work and a lot of stress, but focus on what is unseen, which in the medical world is someday I will be a doctor and this will all be much better, which it won't be. Um, It'll be better actually, but it won't be like there's no suffering (laughs) later on. Um, And so in a similar way, that's how we should be from a spiritual standpoint. Um, I think what I'll do is end it there. I know it's not an easy one to kind of teach. There's a lot to it. Um, but I think I'll wrap it up with that. I'll, I'll, I'll sort of give you a, a challenge. Um, I would say this is that when it looks difficult and inconvenient to be bold and to take a stand for Jesus, uh, let's be committed to withstanding the trials that come as a result of our commitment. I think let's be committed to seeing suffering for good and not be so focused on it. Because we, it, it, as Christians, if in the face of suffering, in the face of things not being great, we're down in the dumps and we're negative and we're critical and we don't act like we see any hope in it. It doesn't really speak to something inside of us that is greater, okay? And so if it's like one thing goes wrong or it's like we're just eating up with politics or a sports team losing or whatever, it's sort of like there's nothing about us that seems different. I think it is a call for us to react differently to suffering. And to point to God is the reason, point to our, our faith in Christ and our relationship with Christ that, that makes us handle life differently. Because otherwise, if, if we're not transformed, if we're not renewed day by day, then what really is different about us? And so I guess my challenge would be that as things happen and it's easy to react on a human level of like, this is the worst, would be to react differently, to take you know, a three count and say, you know what, this is going to be okay. This is going to be all right. Like, I, I can get through this. And on just a very human level is if you can do that and you can internalize it and choose to respond differently and choose to respond positively, um, you'll be in such a better direction, okay? And I think that the truth is is that it's not something you work at. 
It's something that as you're filled more with the Spirit, as you focus more on the Scriptures, as you pray more, as your relationship with God increases and improves, that will be your natural reaction. It's not like a thing that you're working at. You have to count to three. But sometimes it's helpful to like add a, you know, some fail-safes in there you know, <laughs> to kind of work on it practically. So anyway, that's my challenge for the week. Um, okay, so that is our lesson on why is there suffering. My wife was saying this uh, just before I came back here to record this conclusion that you know, a lesson on suffering is typically best <laughs> given by someone who's experienced a lot of suffering. And granted, and I said this, I, I have not. And so I don't know if m- my lesson on suffering is, is best taught by me. Um, and so hopefully I scratched the surface of some of this. And... Um, you know, certainly, as I said, we all suffer in different ways, some of us big, some of us small. Um, I, I think that really it comes down to us deciding to see the potential good in suffering. And so it says to be focused on the unseen rather than the seen. And I think if we can do that, uh, Christianity obviously offers some hope that is absent in other worldviews. Um, it's a difficult topic. That's why it's in the section on hard questions, and this is not an easy thing to grapple with. But uh, we either believe that this world is all there is, and then it really does make suffering seem pretty purposeless, or believe that there is some something greater, and that there's a purpose for suffering, and that it produces in us you know, a certain perseverance, and a certain awareness, and a certain desire, and a certain hope that comes through Christ. Um, it'll be an issue that you'll grapple with the rest of your life, I'm sure, and as certain things happen, uh, it will be destructive at times to your faith. My prayer is, is that you'll always return to that faith and that you'll continue to, to work on that faith and to invest in your relationship with Christ so that when things come like this, uh, that you're prepared to, to deal with it and to weather those times. Um, Thank you for tuning in on a difficult topic, on one that, man, I've spent almost 55 minutes on. Um, Thanks for giving that time. If you're in the area, you're a medical dental student, definitely come spend your Monday nights with us. We've only got, really, two or three months left of this for this year, and then we'll wrap for the summer, and then we'll come back around and do a third year. Uh, I want to appreciate you guys. There was a good group here tonight. Um, A lot of people are going through a lot of things you know, preparing for medical school tests and things like that. So I'm grateful to them for showing up. Hope you have a wonderful week. We'll be back next week with David Flatt as he teaches our second hard questions lesson, and that'll be on um, the question of doubt and when we doubt as Christians. And I'm certain that David will do a wonderful job with that. So you guys have a good night, and we will see you next time on the MDDDS podcast. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.